ever there was a church that that song described is Antioch West Baptist Church. We are the church in the Wildwood. <laughs> you were just red, not brown, right? Uh, that's right. Uh, beautiful song. Thank you, choir, for sharing that. Uh, as we begin our time in God's Word, let's join together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the time we've had to worship together, to the joy that we have in singing together and praying together and hearing from your Word. Lord, I pray that as we open your Word to understand uh, the truth that you would have for us to walk away with today, the, the way that we should be sent out into this world, Lord, that you would work through me, your humble servant, to bring the words of life to these, your people. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be back in Matthew chapter 13 as we continue to look at uh, the parables of the kingdom. Uh, we're going to look at two parables today because they're very short and simple uh, and they both have to do with the same theme. And we're going to look at verses 31 through 33 as we see these two parables, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. And uh, it's very important to remember, as I explained at the beginning of this series, the context under which Jesus is bringing this sermon. Remember I said earlier that this sermon is preached uh, at the end of a very important stage in Jesus' ministry. In chapter 12, we find that pretty much everybody in uh, Judea is every different type or class of people is rejecting Jesus. We find that the religious leaders have rejected his ministry and even his own family is hesitant and resistant to him. And as we saw in verse 10 of chapter 13, his disciples are fairly put off with him because he isn't being clear. They would prefer that he would just go ahead and announce to everyone that he's the Messiah. But in these parables, Jesus is doing the work of explaining to the disciples that they actually have a flawed view of the kingdom of God. You see, they had the idea that the Messiah would come in and he would usher in this golden age of military might and legal reform and religious revival. And they had the idea that it would be a constant flow of victory after victory, glory upon glory. But it's not. Instead of legal reform, the Pharisees had harangued them at every turn over the minutia of the law and the Sabbath. Instead of religious revival, the, the leaders of Israel had accused Jesus of having a demon. Instead of the great rise in military power that they had expected, Jesus cursed the generation of his people for their hard-heartedness. So the disciples needed to understand that the kingdom of God would not begin as they expected. It would not begin in triumph. It would not begin in fanfare. It would not begin in great victory. Instead, it would be like a farmer planting a field where he would spread his seed and the seed would produce in some cases, but in other cases it wouldn't produce. And they needed to understand that just like that farmer that sees successes and failures, so too the kingdom of God will have those who respond and those who don't. Or those who respond and grow and, and flourish in faith and those who show emotional response to the gospel but then never actually have true Saving faith. 
They also needed to understand, just like that same farmer that is patient with the weeds while his true seed, his true wheat grows, just so we should be patient with unbelievers until the time of the judgment comes. So now we come to two parables that explain how the kingdom will grow. You know, as I'm sure the disciples would, would think, I would think too, that Jesus is telling them, you know, the gospel is going to be rejected. The kingdom's going to be rejected. And you're going to have to deal with weeds. There are going to be unbelievers. You might think, well, man, Jesus, this doesn't sound like it's too successful of a plan. I don't understand how this could be the kingdom that Isaiah promised and Ezekiel promised and Jeremiah promised. I don't understand how this could fit into God's prophecy and plan for his rule over the whole earth. But again, they fail to understand how the kingdom will grow. And to see that, let's read together Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 33. God's word says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of God, uh, kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So there are two points that I want you to see from this passage today. I want you to see the size of the seed and the spread of the kingdom. The size of the seed and the spread of the kingdom. So first, let's consider the size of the seed. So both of these parables start with something seemingly insignificant. In the first parable, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed. And in the second, he says that it is like leaven or yeast is what we call this now. Leaven that a woman folds into flour. Now, a mustard seed is not, although the type of mustard that Brother Jerry and I plant in our fall garden, that that is small, but that's a leafy green that we love to mix with our turnip greens and, and eat to eat and it's very good. But that's not what is in view here. Instead, the mustard plant that Jesus has in view here is a is one of the smallest seeds in all of the, the domestic plants of the Middle East. But it grows, as Jesus explains, into a large bush and even a small tree. And it is the mustard that you uh, the type of plant that they make mustard that everybody or some people, Harmony doesn't like it, but uh, some people like to put on their hot dogs, right? Uh, this is that mustard. It was used for medicine. It was used for uh, food. It was The oil was used uh, in some cases. So it was used in a lot of practices in the ancient world and even still to this day. Now, when Jesus compares and says that this uh, uh, compares this mustard seed to the kingdom of God, he's borrowing on a common tradition of the Jews that used this seed as a measure for all sorts of things that were small. So, for example, Jewish rabbis, in answering the question of how much blood could defile a person if they came in contact with it, they would say that a drop of blood the size of a mustard seed was enough 
to defile a person. So not only would a farmer have understood this analogy, so too would the religious leaders who were likely listening in on this conversation. They would understand it too. Now in the second parable, Jesus speaks of another insignificant item, yeast or leaven. So I've, I've told some of you before that I love to bake bread. I love the whole process. I find it very therapeutic. And one particular point in the process I find very therapeutic that I've explained to some of you before. Um, but it's fascinating to me because you can take two cups of flour, a little oil, a little salt, maybe some sugar and some water and a teaspoon of yeast. And you can mix all that together and it makes this beautiful loaf of bread that feeds your family. And it's fascinating because yeast, you may not know this, but yeast is actually a fungus. And that yeast breaks down the gluten in wheat and releases carbon dioxide, which turns in turn causes the bread to rise. So you can add a teaspoon of yeast to two cups of flour, and within a, in, within a two-hour period, that mixture will double in size. And then you get to do the most therapeutic thing, and I recommend it for men and women alike. Once that dough has risen for two hours, you take that big, airy uh, piece of dough out, and you put it on a, 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 a cutting board, and you punch it. Now, some people say you knead it, but actually the directions I've always read says you punch it. And when you're mad at somebody, not your wife or your spouse or your husband, uh, that never happens. But when you're mad at somebody, you make some bread and you punch that thing. And then you knead it and you knead it aggressively. The more aggressive, the better. But you knead it aggressively and, and until it becomes the texture that you want. And then you put it in the oven and you cook it. And the amazing thing is that it all starts with a small portion of a microscopic organism that you can't even see, and that spreads and grows and bakes into a delicious food that you and your whole family can enjoy. Now y'all are hungry, and you're not going to hear anything else that I've said in this sermon today, because I've talked about mustard and hot dogs, and I've talked about bread. Some of y'all are going to go to Sonic after this. But... So what does this have to do with the kingdom of God? With both, both the mustard seed and the yeast, Jesus is pointing to the fact that the kingdom of God starts in an insignificant way. And there are two ways that I can think that this is meant. First of all, it's meant historically. This is true in a historical sense that the kingdom of God started small. The kingdom of God started not in a royal palace in Jerusalem, but in a stable in Bethlehem. It was delivered not through a king and his queen, but through a carpenter and his young virgin wife. It was announced not to the rulers of Israel, but to shepherds. The word was first spread not by royal heralds, but by foreign pagans called magi. The king, uh, kingdom of God grew not in the halls of elite rabbinical schools, but in the, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee among fishermen and merchants. Its impact was first felt not by the elites, but by the lepers and demon-possessed and sinners. Even after Jesus' resurrection, 
He would ascend, leaving only 120 people as the inaugural members, citizens of his kingdom. Second, the insignificant start to the kingdom of God is true wherever and whenever it is preached. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 says, It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. Understand what Paul means here. God, in his infinite and sovereign wisdom, chose to reach the world for his kingdom, not through military might or through technological advancement or through mystical allurement, but through the foolishness of what I'm doing right now. Now, have you ever thought about how foolish it looks to the world that you come week in and week out to listen to me speak for 30 minutes about a passage from a book that was written 2,000 years ago? Have you ever thought how crazy it must look to an unsaved mind that when we are asked to explain what we believe, we open this ancient book and tell them about a man who lived two millennia ago? It's foolish. It's small. It's seemingly insignificant. And yet, by God's power alone, it works. People all over this world, every day, hear about Jesus through the witness of faithful believers proclaiming the gospel, and they believe and trust in Jesus Christ. Understand that it is not the sleekness of the presentation or the persuasiveness of the presenter that saves people. It is the power of the gospel and the work of God's Spirit alone that does that. We do not need fog machines or live streams to change hearts. We need the small, insignificant seed of the gospel. That is all. So now that we understand the size of the seed, let's consider the spread of its kingdom, of the kingdom. In these two parables, Jesus emphasizes the expanding benefit of the kingdom uh, from a small, insignificant start. And with the parable of the mustard seed and uh, the yeast, first of all, with the mustard seed, the plant grows to a large bush, large enough that birds can come and build their nests. Literally, the word that Jesus uses there means to build a home. Now, mustard plants typically grow to about seven to eight feet tall, but on occasion, they have been known to grow to 15 feet tall. Now, During certain times of the year, those branches that they grow, they become woody. And birds, in fact, do make their nest in the branches of the mustard plant. Now, there are two aspects of the spread of the kingdom that Jesus has in view here. First, the spread of the kingdom is expansive. Certainly, if you were to plant a seed of mustard in the woods... Compared to other trees in the forest, it would not be all that impressive of a plant. But if you plant it in your vegetable garden and it grows to 15 feet tall, it's very likely that it would shade out your garden. We see this same idea in the expansion in the parable of the yeast. When the yeast does its work, it expands into the whole loaf. This points to the fact that the kingdom of God will expand into all the earth. God's kingdom is meant for all people. 
It may have started small with the preaching of the gospel in Jerusalem, but it exploded almost immediately to spread to Judea, Samaria, Africa, Asia Minor, Rome, Britain, France, India, China, Russia, and the Americas. The kingdom of God starts from a tiny seed of the gospel that is preached in places like this church in the Wildwood, Wildwood, right? Places where people hear the gospel and believe it. And what's amazing to me is we do this every week and it never fizzles out. People don't stop coming, even though I'm mean sometimes, even though I preach hellfire and brimstone that people like, apparently. Um, but it never fizzles out. It, when you leave, you don't leave empty You leave full of the gospel, I hope and I pray, every Sunday. You leave to go into this world and that seed of the gospel, it expands into your families, it expands into your schools, to your businesses, to your friendships, to the uttermost parts of the earth. It grows and it spreads because that's what the good seed of the gospel and the kingdom of God does. Second, the spread of the kingdom is all-encompassing. Now, as some of you know, I'm an outdoorsman and a conservationist or a striving conservationist. I love nature. I love to camp and fish and hunt and kayak and swim and whatever I can do to get outside. In fact, I, I prepare my sermons most Sundays outside on the patio instead of inside uh, in the quiet of, uh, well, the relative quiet of my house. Um, and I have an affinity for birds, especially the ones I can shoot. But if you're a duck hunter especially, you'll know that you have to know your birds pretty well because you can shoot three of some kind and six of another and, and they all look the same when they're flying at, five, at 6.30 in the morning. They, they just shadows at that point. So you have to learn it pretty well. And I've come to appreciate birds. And not only that, but my family has had, since we built our house, We have had a family of those mud swallows that has built its nest every year on um, on the front porch of our house on both sides on our on the capitals of our columns. And we have watched we have no telling how many generations of mud swallows we these these out here may be from our house. I don't know. But (laughs) but we don't we don't run them off. We let them uh, uh, let them nest and all that. Partly because I just love birds, partly because I know that they're going out there and eating the mosquitoes, and we really don't have to worry about mosquitoes around our house because we let them grow, and and the kids love to watch them. But I love the idea of that, not just because I'm an outdoorsman, and not just because I love birds, but also because this is a major theme of Scripture. One of the reasons I had y'all read Psalm 84 verses 1 through 3 is because of verse 3. It says, Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altar, O Lord of hosts. Understand what uh, what the psalmist is saying. The psalmist, in considering the temple of God, marvels that that temple even benefits the smallest creatures. Even a, little, uh, even a little swallow that would build its nest on the capitals of the columns in the temple benefits from the presence of that temple. Now, where is the temple today? 
It's right here. It's in each one of you. And so what I take from this is that the kingdom of God, the presence of God's people in this world benefits all of creation, even the least in creation. The presence of God's people in this world benefits all. All of creation. It's what Jesus meant when he said that we as God's people are to be salt and life in the uh, light in this world. We bring goodness into this world. I would argue that with a few unfortunate exceptions, wherever Christianity has spread, life is preserved, humanity flourishes, and the world is made more beautiful. In ancient Rome, it was typical It was a typical practice that if you had a child that you didn't want, maybe it was a girl and you wanted a boy, maybe it seemed a little sickly when it was born, you could legally, and they did it quite often, they would take and just put the child out on their front steps. And it was not meant to give it up for adoption at the time, it was meant to kill the child. And in fact, most people, everyone in that day knew that that's why that child was out there, that infant was out there, and they would walk by without a care in the world for that infant laying there crying until it died of exposure. But then Christian widows came along and they decided, they believed that that little life, even if it had a a handicap, even if it wasn't a thriving baby, even if it couldn't produce anything that this world would find valuable, they decided that that little child mattered because it was made in the image of God. And so Christian widows began to pick up these infants and adopt them and to even create orphanages where these children could be raised. They brought goodness into a world that was calloused against the life that God had given in this world. The missionaries uh, that first went to um, India, they found when they got there a horrible practice where the wives of men who had died would be tied to the funeral pyre of their husbands and burned alive with their dead husband. The missionaries worked to put an end to this practice. And even though today India is mostly a Hindu nation, it has never gone back to that practice. So as the kingdom of God expands, its goodness and the benefits of the kingdom expand to all of humanity, even the sparrows, even those who may not believe, even those who hate Christianity, find benefit from the goodness of Christian people every day. They may not recognize it, but it is because of our beliefs in the value of human life that human life is preserved. It is because of our belief in love for neighbor that people just believe as a default in the Western world that you should be kind to your fellow man. And that you should seek the good of your fellow man. That is not a pagan belief. That is a Christian belief. So may we leave this place and take the seed of the gospel to the world. And may we take the goodness of that kingdom with us in our own personal lives and seek to live as life-giving, beautifying, truth-telling children of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these parables and how they show us the the kingdom of God and how it will expand. Lord, we pray this very hour 
that that kingdom would be leaven in our own hearts, that it would cause us to well up and to produce and to be good, fruitful citizens of the kingdom of God. That we as individuals would be like that mustard seed that sprouts up and spreads its branches so that even the least among the, uh, the kingdom, even the least in this world might benefit from our presence. May we be like that leaven that makes good food, that gives our lives for the sake of others, that gives our, our good things so that others might be, be successful and benefit as well. Father, I pray that we would leave this place seeking to live as salt and life, uh, salt and light in this world. I pray that you would bless us now as we respond. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.